You know, many of the great stories in the history of the world and the history of literature, especially modern literature, they begin with, uh, you know, they begin in memorable ways with kind of captivating lines that grab your attention right from the outset and get you hooked, right? I was thinking through some of these. For example, you know, feel free to, to answer me if you know these. You know, a tale of two cities begins with the words, right? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Or how about Moby Dick begins with the line, call me Ishmael. Or, or maybe something a little bit more familiar to to you guys would be uh, Star Wars, right? Uh, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But, but the greatest story, uh, one of the greatest stories in the world, you know, we have to say that the Christmas story must be considered amongst the greatest stories that's ever been told. The Christmas story has endured for 2,000 years as the most read, most beloved, most celebrated story the world has ever known. And the Christmas story has spawned thousands, maybe even millions of books, movies, songs, Christmas albums, Christmas TV specials, and of course we cannot forget the school plays in which inevitably we dress up some kid as a sheep and which I always get cast as the third wise man. But uh, how does the Christmas story begin? You know, if all these great stories of the world begin in these captivating ways that grab your attention, well then surely the Christmas story, if it is among these stories, how does it begin? It must have some kind of catch line, something that grabs your attention right away. You ready for what it is? Here's the first line of the Christmas story. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, that's not quite exactly the exciting opening line that we might have been hoping for, was it? That, that line certainly seems to be left out of all the Christmas TV specials that I've seen. But uh, interestingly, you know, what comes after that? Okay, so we have that line, which isn't exciting. Maybe it gets more exciting after that than we, we read. And I'm not going to read this whole thing to you. But we have 16 verses of, of really just lists of names. Many of them are very hard to pronounce. And it goes on for a while until we get down to verse 16, where we read this. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, think with me, if you would, if this is the greatest story ever told, then why does it begin in a way which seems so very, well, undynamic, right? Unexciting. I mean, there's, a, there's very few things in, the, in life that get you pumped up less than reading a list of 42 names that you can't pronounce. So why is it that this story, if it's so epic, why does it begin like this? And let me tell you, there's actually a very good reason. It's a very important reason. You ready for it? Here's why. Because Christianity is about historical events which actually happened. You need to know that. Christianity is about historical events that actually happened. And this is really what sets Christianity apart from philosophy or spirituality, is that Christianity at its heart is really about history. It's about history, and, and that's why the Christmas story doesn't begin with some line like, you know, a, a long time ago or once upon a time in a, far, in a land far, far away. No, the Christmas story begins by giving us historical information and giving us a historical setting. You know, the word gospel, it means an announcement of good news, an announcement, a proclamation of something that has happened. And the Christian gospel is the report, the announcement, the proclamation of something that has happened, of historical events through which God acted in human history to bring salvation to the world. 
You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel message that, that Christians, that is, that is everything we have, right? The gospel message is not the report of what you have to do to earn God's favor. No, the gospel is the good news of what has been done for you in order that you might be saved and changed forever. And this gospel message, it all centers around the life of this man named Jesus. And so we begin here in verse 18, we carry on from there. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now try to put yourself in this situation with me if you would. Just really think this through. Try to put yourself in these shoes. Mary and Joseph, who are they? Well, they're, they're a young couple. They live in a small rural town in the Middle East. Mary is most likely a teenager. She's probably 14 or 15 years old. Maybe some of you in here tonight, you're saying, hey, that's me. I'm 14, 15 years old. Some of you can remember being that old. And she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, a betrothal, just to be clear, is a little bit more than an engagement. It's like a legally binding engagement. So in their culture, they had a betrothal, which was a legal status of engagement. You were bound to that person, but you were not yet married. Therefore, you didn't yet consummate the marriage. So here's Mary. She's a young girl. She's met this great guy. He has a job, which is always a plus when you're looking for a guy. Right, girls? And so he asks for her hand in marriage. And she says, yes, and now they're engaged, and she's excited. She's planning her wedding. This is really a wonderful period of life for, for everybody who goes through it. I mean, how many of you ladies can remember that stage in your life, that time during your engagement when you were looking forward to your wedding day? You were, you know, making all the preparations for your wedding, you know, choosing the dress and picking the venue and making and sending out all the invitations. This is a period of life that literally, girls grow up hoping for and looking forward to it's a time of excitement and anticipation and happiness you know Mary really she's living the dream isn't she she's she's got it all going on for her but then something happens something happens which is really the last thing that she would have wanted to happen at this stage in her life something which is going to change her life forever and there's really not a lot she can do about it Mary found out that she's going to have a baby well, great, right? That's, that's awesome. Congratulations, Mary. Well, isn't that great? Aren't you excited? Well, well kind of, you know. I mean, I mean see, it's, it's great news, kind of, because, you see, she's not married yet. And she's, how is she going to explain this to her parents? And she lives in a small town. Any of you guys grew up in a small town? Well, congratulations, you got out. I'm glad. And, uh, well, she, she's going to explain to, how's she going to explain this to people in town? I mean, they're, they're able to do the math. They can read a calendar. They're going to figure this out. She can't keep this a secret. She's pregnant and she's not yet married. How's she going to explain this to her fiancé, Joseph, because he knows that he's not the dad, right? You see, the way Mary found out she was pregnant, we read in Luke chapter 1, that an angel appeared to her and told her that she was going to have a baby even though she was a virgin uh, because she had been chosen by God to have a very special child who had to be born of a virgin. Well, wow, you know, that's flattering, isn't it? That God, of all people in the world, God would choose her, just, you know, little old her, to have this baby. That's honoring that she was chosen for this special task. It's like, hey, thanks, Lord, but... 
But as nice as this is, I mean, this creates quite a lot of problems for me, really. I mean, I mean how many people are actually going to believe that, this, that her story is true, that, you know, the angel showed up and that she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit? I mean, people are going to think that she's promiscuous and that she's making up the whole thing about the Holy Spirit just to cover it up. And she's wondering, well, what about Joseph? I mean, how's he going to take this? Is he going to believe me? Is he going to believe me when I tell him what happened? Or is he going to think that I cheated on him and I was unfaithful and then he'll probably leave me? And then, then where will I be? I'll be a single teenage mom trying to raise my baby on my own in a shame and honor society there in the Middle East where having a baby out of wedlock was one of the most shameful things you could do and therefore Mary would be shunned by all the people around her no one would talk to her they would they would treat her terribly and she would truly be alone you know it's kind of hard to tell if this baby is more of a blessing or a curse to Mary at this point now think about Joseph right he's a young man he's a carpenter he's a tradesman he works hard with his hands for a living and and he's at a stage in his life where he's ready to get married and settle down and have a family and he's got a girl a great girl her name's Mary now how many of you men remember that period of your life where there was this amazing girl and you said I want to spend the rest of my life with her I want to take care of her I want to have children with her I, I want to marry her and so you saved up your money and you gathered up your courage and you met her parents and you asked her to marry you and she said yes. And then you began looking forward to being a husband and a family man. But one day Mary, she says, so Joseph, uh, there's, there's something we need to talk about. And Joseph says, yeah, okay, what's up? You know, what's going on? She says, well, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about how you're going to take this. He says, well, Mary, you can tell me anything. What is it? Are you having second thoughts? Are you getting cold feet? Are you thinking you maybe, maybe you're not ready for this? You're too young for marriage? And she says, well, well, that's not quite it, actually. And he says, well, well, what is it? Just spit it out. Tell me what's going on. She says, well, well, you see, I'm, I'm kind of pregnant right? And uh, I mean, ladies, can you imagine having that conversation with your fiance? I mean, men, uh, try to imagine yourself in Joseph's shoes in this moment. Just imagine how emotionally devastating it would be to hear these words. I, I mean, you, you're engaged to this girl. You've done everything right. You've been saving yourself for marriage, and now you think that she's betrayed you in the, the worst way possible. I mean, how many of you, you men, you would just be so sad, you would be so incredibly hurt, so crushed, that you just wouldn't know what to do? Well, we read in verse 19 that, that Joseph was in that kind of place. It says, Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her, ashamed, uh, put her to shame, but he resolved to divorce her quickly. You know, Mary probably tried to explain everything to Joseph, explain the situation. You see, there was this angel, and there's Holy Spirit and a miracle, and Joseph's like, yeah, right. Some kind of miracle that was, right? And I mean, can you really blame him? I mean, who, who what would you say if, if some pregnant teenager told you, hey, it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit, it's a miracle, hallelujah, right? Who would believe that? And so Joseph, understandably, feeling hurt and betrayed, being a godly man, he doesn't want to shame her publicly. He doesn't want to hurt her. So he decides to dissolve their betrothal, right? And that's where we're talking about divorce here. He says, I just want to cut this off, and I want to get out of here. You know, she's got a baby. It's not mine. I just want out. 
In verse 20, we read this. As Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a child, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, there's a way, and think about this, there's a way in which Mary and Joseph are very much in the same situation that you and I are in sitting here today or standing here today. Now, think about this. Mary and Joseph are in the same situation that you and I are in. Right? You know why? Because they've never seen Jesus with their own eyes. They've never met Jesus personally. All they've got to go on is this report about him. This message about who he will be and, who, and what he will do. That's all they've got to go on. Just this report. And that's kind of like us, isn't it? Like we've never seen Jesus. All we have is this report, this announcement of the gospel about who he is and what he has done. And now Mary and Joseph are faced with the same choice that each and every one of us in here is faced with tonight. How will they respond to that information, to that news, to that report of who Jesus is and, and what he will do and what he has done in our case? What will they do with this information? Will they believe it? Will they respond in faith? That this, will they believe that this message is true? Will they act upon that faith? Now, what exactly is this message, just to be clear, that the angel delivered to them about who Jesus will be and what he will do? Well, for a little more on that, it's important to look over at Luke chapter 1, in that, what we call the Annunciation, where the angel announces to Mary that Jesus is coming. So there in Luke chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me. The angel told Mary that this child would be the son of the Most High God. And, that, and another thing about him, he would be an eternal king, an everlasting king. And so this child in Mary's womb, which she knew, she knows better than anybody, right? That it couldn't have gotten there any other way than by an act of God. This child is going to be someone very special. Someone who will be like no one else who has ever lived. A king, but not just any king, a king who will reign forever. A son, but not just any son, the son of the Most High. The implication is this, that what we're talking about here is not just a mortal human being. It's something more than that. And of course, Mary asks the obvious question, well, how can this be, I mean, since I'm still a virgin? And the answer was, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child who will be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so in other words, here, here's the deal. The child is going to be perfectly holy, absolutely sinless. He will be both divine and human. Do you get the picture that's being formed here? The, the next thing that both Mary and Joseph are told is that his name is very important, that the name should be called Jesus. You know why? Because the name Jesus means God who saves. God who saves. Do you see the significance of that name? It couldn't be any more significant. The Bible says that Jesus is the God who saves. Jesus is God 
come to us in human flesh to save us from our sins. Jesus didn't just come to show you the way to God. He is God come to you. Jesus didn't just come to, sh to be a guide and to show you the way of salvation. He himself is salvation. He didn't just come to show you how to live, but he himself lived the life that you should have lived. And he himself died the death that you should have died for your sins so that you could be saved. He accomplished salvation in your place. So Mary and Joseph are very much like us in this sense. They've never seen Jesus with their eyes or they've never met him personally, but they have this message that they've received about him, who he will be and what he will do. And they are faced with a decision, just like we are. What will they do with this information? How will they respond? And they, are, they respond in three ways that I'd like you to consider tonight. Three ways that I'd like you to consider. How they responded, and I believe it's the way that all of us should be challenged to respond to this message of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done. First of all, here's the first way that they responded. First, they wrestled with, they wrestled through honest questions. They had honest questions. Both Jesus and Mary, when they hear this announcement of, of who Jesus is going to be, that this baby is going to come, neither of them just say, oh, okay, miracle baby from God, going to save the world, sounds great. Got it. We'll just go with that, right? right? Neither of them say that. They both struggle with honest questions. They're both like, wait a second, this doesn't make complete sense to me. I'm not sure. I have some questions. I have some doubts. They both said, wait a minute, I, I, need, to, I need to think about this. I need, I need to ask a few questions. And let me tell you that, for, for those of you who are here today, it is okay to have honest questions. You know, if we really believe that Christianity is true, and I sincerely do then that means that we're not afraid of questions right why would we be if we're talking about the truth and if if you're desiring information and you have honest questions that you desire answers to let me tell you those answers are out there they're available and wrestling through those honest questions that was the first way that Mary and Joseph responded to this message about Jesus and it's an important step it's a key step for all of us they wrestled through those questions and they got answers and that is what prepared them for their next response. Secondly, the next thing they did was they surrendered completely. They surrendered completely. Both Mary and Joseph, they came to this point of surrendering completely. They came to it separately from each other. For Mary, it was after she had dialogued with this angel and asked these questions and expressed her doubts and had her questions answered. You know, she said, how can this be? How's this going to happen? What, what's this all about? She got the answers and finally she comes to this point where she says there in Luke chapter 1, it says, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She's saying, God, whatever you want, let's do it. For Joseph, we read this in uh, finishing up this section in verse 24. It says, when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took a wife and he knew he took her as his wife and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph, you know, he was about to leave her. The angel shows up and says, no, here's what I want you to do instead. And Joseph chooses to surrender completely to the will and the plan of God for his life. So both Mary and Joseph, they come to this point where they choose to surrender their lives completely to the will of God, to believe this message about Jesus, and to 
take on everything that comes with it. They're going to take on everything that comes with it. And you need to know this, that that was not an easy choice, especially because of the price that they would have to pay if they do take this on. I mean, there's a sense in which Mary doesn't have a lot of choice, but Joseph certainly does. He can walk away from this and not have to deal with it. And he almost did. But by sticking around, he's saying, I'm making a choice. And let me tell you what, that takes a lot of faith and it takes a lot of courage, especially a lot of courage. Because think about this, this shame and honor society, to take this on, to take on this child who he knows is not his, who he knows people are going to do the math and figure it out, it would mean accepting rejection from all the people around him. Mary and Joseph knew that people would not understand. They wouldn't get it. And people would say hurtful things. People would gossip. They would be shunned by their peers. They would be treated as second-class citizens. Everyone would assume that something immoral had taken place. Would it even be worth it to try to explain to them what had happened? I mean, who was going to believe them anyway? Their only consolation would be that they know the truth and they know that God knows the truth. But you see, here's the deal. It took faith. It took faith for Mary and Joseph to believe this proclamation about Jesus who they've never seen with their own eyes. And it took a lot of courage for Mary and Joseph to act upon that faith. Do you know that? That it takes courage for you to act upon your faith. To surrender completely to the will of God, that takes courage. To say, yes, I will receive Jesus into my life and accept everything that comes along with it no matter how high the cost let me ask you this today what about you do you have the courage this Christmas Eve to say what Mary and Joseph said on the eve of that first Christmas yes I will receive Jesus into my life and I will accept everything that comes along with it Mary and Joseph were willing to do for Jesus what Jesus was going to do for them. Think about that. They were going to do for Jesus what Jesus would do for them. They laid down their lives. They gave up their lives for him who was coming into this world to lay down his life for them. They became of no reputation for the sake of him who was coming into this world to make himself of no reputation for them on the cross as he bore their sins and their shame upon himself. Joseph adopted Jesus. He took him in as his own son just as Jesus was coming into the world to make a way for people to be adopted and become the children of God. Have you figured out yet who the unexpected hero of the story is yet? Certainly, Mary is, is an unexpected hero, a teenage girl, an unwed teenage girl who's pregnant. Certainly, Joseph could be considered an uh, unexpected hero. But, but the ultimate unexpected hero of this story is Jesus Christ himself. He came into this world in a very unexpected way through an unexpected pregnancy. Do you see? He came to bring salvation to the world in a way which many people did not expect by giving up his own life, by dying on a cross and resurrecting on the third day. It was through that great act of sacrifice that Jesus would come to fulfill the meaning of his name, God who saves. He as the holy perfect divine son of God came into the world. He was born in order that he might die So that through his death, we who deserve death might live and have eternal life. 
That is what Christmas is all about. It's the message that God loves you so much that he came to you to save you. He didn't wait for you to work your way to him. He came to you. You know, Christmas is the answer to the question, how much does God love me? Here's the answer. He loves you so much that he traded the glory of heaven for a dirty stable. He traded the omnipotence that he had for impotence as a child. He traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. He traded a throne for a cross. That is how much he loves you. That's what Christmas is all about. And the, the question for you and I today is this. Will we, will you take the step of faith and believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Will you give your life completely to him who gave his life completely for you? That is what Mary and Joseph did on that first Christmas. They believed the gospel message of Jesus Christ and they surrendered their lives completely to God. Don't you see that that is the Christmas message? That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of these people. Thirdly, here's the, the last response they had. They sought out community. They sought out community. We read in, there in Luke chapter 1, after the angel announces to Mary that she's going to have this baby, and Mary wrestles through the questions and finally gets to the point of surrendering completely to the will of God, we say Mary goes and she travels to the house of a relative named Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth, her relative, was married to a man named Zachariah who was a priest. And Elizabeth and Zachariah, well, they were kind of in a similar situation that Mary was in, only on the opposite end. I mean, Mary was young, she was a virgin, and she got pregnant. But Elizabeth was uh, an older lady, and God had allowed her to conceive and have a child. So when Mary talked about miraculous conception, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they didn't scoff at her. They got it like they totally understood, right? And Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, they knew the scriptures. They were believers and they were awaiting the Messiah. And so when Mary told them that the angel had told her these things, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they got it. They understood. Others mocked, but these people rejoiced with them. You see, having that kind of fellowship with people who share your faith and who just get the things that you know about God. It was just a breath of fresh air for Mary. It was a refuge. It was a place where she could be encouraged and strengthened in her faith and in her resolve to live for the Lord. All of us need that. We need that fellowship. We need that strengthening and encouraging in our faith and in our resolve to live for the Lord. And that is really what Christian community is all about. That is an essential aspect of responding to the gospel is not only giving your life to God but then connecting with others in community who share your faith Mary and Joseph in closing I'll say this they were nobodies who became greater than everybody why because God came to them and they responded in three wonderful ways they wrestled through their questions they surrendered their lives and they connected with others and you can too Amen? Let's go ahead and uh, ask the choir to come up and let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for this Christmas message, Lord, that this is how much you love us, that you came to us. Lord, you became one of us. You didn't wait for us to work our way to you. Lord, we could never do that. Lord, you came to us to save us. You traded the glory of heaven for a dirty stable. You traded a, th a 
a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. You traded a throne for a cross because you love us. And thank you for that message this Christmas. Lord, may our hearts be full of the knowledge that we are loved by our creator. Lord, that you would do and you have done everything for us, for our salvation. That is the gospel. We thank you for it and we celebrate it this evening together in Jesus' name, amen.